Today we preview our upcoming Slow Flower Summit. We're heading to the Canadian province of Alberta. You'll meet three of our speakers who join me in an inspiring conversation about the native plants and sustainable land care practices of the Canadian prairies and grasslands. One of the most beautiful and wonderful things about being part of North America is our biodiversity. It's the land that shapes us as a people, all of us who occupy space on this land. Unfortunately though, a lot of the vegetation that was here for thousands of years is competing with all the different human activity that's happening on the landscape particularly in the prairies. And so we have very few places where we can even see rich biodiversity of certain native plants. We have an opportunity now to really start to pay attention to the true history and landscape of North America and to actually invest in those species. Because if we as human beings, as the most dominant species on the landscape, cannot invest and take time to appreciate the species that are there, I think there's a risk of, of losing that heritage. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing. This is episode 636. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 750 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown, fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Last Friday, November 10th, we held a virtual members meetup to introduce the just-announced 2024 Slow Flowers Summit. We shared the dates, June 23rd through 25th, 2024, the venue, the beautiful Banff Center for the Arts and Creativity in Banff, and the location that we all want to go to, the Canadian Rockies, and highlights of our program. We have 11 inspiring speakers, an extensive hands-on design immersion, and presentations on flower farming, floral design, floral entrepreneurship, and sustainability. I can't wait to see you there. I invited two of our summit speakers, Becky Feesby of Prairie Girl Flowers and Latifa Pelletier Ahmed, owner of ALCLA Native Plants, a Calgary area nursery. As a surprise bonus, Lorda Still of Masagana Flower Farm in Manitoba, who will also present at the Slow Flower Summit, joined our conversation. We covered the highlights of their involvement in the world of plants, flowers, and horticulture in Canada's prairies and grasslands. And the conversation took a wonderful turn 
towards sustainability and regenerative practices. This is an inspiring conversation, so let's jump right in and meet Becky, Latifa, and Lourdes. Hello, Becky. Hi. How are you? Great. Yeah, really good. Excited. Becky, you are responsible for this, planting the seed of the idea. I want to say like three years ago, we started talking about this. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Because it was yeah. two years ago that you came out for, well, not quite two years ago, for to look at it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was crazy. So I will <laughs> tell everyone the story. Becky, first of all, we had wanted to have um, c- come to Canada for sure to really recognize the vibrant community of Slow Flowers members in Canada. And um, I think we have members in about maybe eight or nine provinces. So yeah, right. pretty, pretty good <laughs> representation and mainly in the metro areas. But um, one of the biggest contingencies is in the province of Alberta. And so, and Becky is our kind of our ambassador in Canada. And she, and I had been talking and I kept saying, well, let's have uh, the summit in Calgary because you've had two successful um, sustainable three. flowers workshops. Yeah, I had in- three. I had three there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So you've, yeah. you know how to throw, you know how to, run a, an event in Calgary. Yep. But then I don't know why it, it came up, but you said we should look at Banff. And yeah. um, that uh, it's, it's a pretty spectacular place. And so uh, can you just talk a little bit about how that got on your radar and, and, and like how many years have you been going to Banff and what is Banff as a destination for Cal- people in Calgary and beyond? Yeah. I mean, I would say I started just thinking, Deborah, like, you know, Calgary's great and I, I love living here and it makes me happy and all the things. But um, in terms of bringing people in from all over, Banff is sort of one of those world-class destinations that's sort of on a lot of people's bucket lists from all over the world to come and visit. It is spectacular, um, set right in the Rocky Mountains. Um, it has every amenity that you could ever want there. <laughs> you know, some might say too many amenities. I For a tourist, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, beautiful hiking opportunities. We're a big hiking family. So um, we rarely actually go to Banff to hike simply because it's often a bit busy. So we go sort of around to other places, but it's just a spectacular setting, um, has rich history, um, a celebrated sort of indigenous um, cultural um, history as well. And and it's just spectacular. I mean, it's sort of world-class destination. So I just said, I thought, huh, I mean, people would love to come to Calgary and I'm happy yeah. to show them around here too. And they have to kind of fly through Calgary to get to Banff, you, right? You do have to fly to Calgary to get to Banff, right? And then, but you know, it is an <laughs> unbelievable destination. Yeah, Karen's um, putting up every photo that yeah. Google has. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. And so, and the Banff Center for the Arts is, you know, an incredible venue to host something like this because they celebrate all of the creative arts. So there will likely be um, ceramicists in residence. There could be writers in residence, um, painters, you know, indigenous um, historians, you name it, all sort of in residence there at the same time that the summit's going on. So you feel like you're in this beautiful community of creatives yeah. of which I think all of us would consider, you know, whether we're a, a flower farmer, a farmer, florist, a florist, whatever it is, it's all that sort of earthwork with really, which really mm-hmm. sort of fits in with the the way the BAMP Center operates. Yeah. What, when we went to visit it in May of 2022, yep. um, we, uh, 
I was really struck by the fact that it's also kind of, um, you know, it's sort of self-contained. So you're not, you're not um, having to have a lot of logistics. Once you get there, you're just there. Yes. And it's very special in that there's the, you walk out of your hotel room or they're kind of like, almost like conference center hotel rooms. You just walk out and you're on a trail and, you know, there's some beautiful gathering happening of conference goers who decided they don't want to be indoors. And they went out and sat uh, right by the mountains. It's really wonderful. Oh yeah. Floor to ceiling windows in every conference room where like, you know, you you turn around and you just have this gorgeous vista of, of mountains. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the accommodations are fabulous. The food is really good. There's little wine bars that you can visit. I mean, not that I would do that. Kelly, yeah. Kelly and I might. <laughs> I see Kelly Morrison on here. You're, know, as you here. said, like, you're yeah, wine buddy. But you know, <laughs> I, I also want to say, Karen Thornton is very conscious about the menu at every single summit. And it's a lot of logistics to make sure you have dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian. But at the, the catering operation in BAMP, it's like, well, of course, like that's yes. just their MO. And so um, I felt we were really happy about that too, because it's sort of dialed in for various dietary requirements and the food is super organic and delicious. So yeah. um excited yeah. about that. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the floral scene. And I know, of course, it's very diverse. There's um, every growing zone um, imaginable across the country. But in terms of, um, you know, what you're seeing in Alberta, I mean, we, you know, we've got, I know we've got members who are very far north and others that are very urban. Can you just talk a little bit about what's the season and uh, what you're seeing happen in um, in the province? Yeah, I would say that I've seen um, flower farmers and and really, really good flower farmers sort of um sort of blow up in Alberta over the last five or six years. And so we have people growing, you know, incredible flowers um, south near Waterton National Park where it's windy, 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 right? And so Kristen Primrose, who's a Slow Flowers member and I know coming to the summit, she manages crazy winds. Mm. Um, You know, Heather Henson, my good friend of Boreal Blooms, up is up in Cold Lake. It's called Cold Lake for a reason, right? I mean, it's cold. Um, and she's going to be one of our speakers too. She is. And so we have people growing in a bunch of different sort of climates. I mean, I would, you can count on Alberta sort of being anywhere from sort of zone two to like maybe zone four or five in a, in a more protected urban area. So it's definitely, um, you know, a shorter growing season because our first frost Mm -hmm. and our last frost, you know, (laughs) there's not a ton of time, but we have these beautiful long days when uh, people that come to the summit, will be enjoying the sun being out until close to 1030 at night. Mm. And so there is this, um, there is this sort of really summer beauty that goes along with these gorgeous long days. So you just Um, plan on not sleeping a lot in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. You sleep less in the summer for sure. Like, cause you know, if you're tired, you go to bed and you're like, it's not dark. And if you're a flower farmer, you've got work to do until you can harvest. yeah, you you can you can get a lot done during that that those that long daylight period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I'm interested about the zones. You're in Calgary, and you grow a lot in your in your urban yes. residential garden yes. for your yep. clients. Yep. Um, when do you when do you when are you able to start harvesting? I think when I came and saw you in May, you had you had spring bulbs that you were able. I had to tul- yeah tulips and the alliums might have been just starting, so it would be just bulbs and maybe some you know greenery from spirea or whatever, but no other mm-hmm. um, no other real flowers. And then 
Yeah. And then it sort of progresses, you know, we grow great peonies in these Northern climates. So peonies are a really great perennial crop. Um, I do grow a lot of perennials. Perennials do well here. Kind of um, handy, right? Yeah. yeah. I grow, I'm starting to grow a lot of native things thanks to Latifa. So I do incorporate a lot of native um, flowers and foliage in my work now. Um, and, and then, you know, the fall, it, it varies like this year, our fall, it was a long time until we had a hard frost, a killing frost. So, um, people were able to harvest well through Canadian Thanksgiving, which is sort of the middle of October, which, you know, is often not the case. So but how nice for the, for local flowers, if you can really have, nice for local have flowers, local flowers yeah. um, for the holiday. Absolutely. Um, when I remember we were trying to figure out the date for going to Banff and there were some challenges because we've got a, we've got a, um, okay, there's this big thing that happens called the Calgary Stampede and we didn't want to butt up against that. When is that, Becky? It's like July. I don't know when it starts in 2024. Like, th- But generally early July. Like, like 10 days in early July. Yes. And we're at the end of June. Yes. So we were looking a little earlier and at some point you said, but uh, if you go too early, there will be snow on the ground in Banff because Banff oh, is high elevation, right? Yes, very high. Yeah, yes. So yeah, I was like, if you push it too far forward, I mean, people won't need snowshoes, but you know. Yeah, it's chilly. Yeah. You'll need a puffy coat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, that's one of the things that I'm excited about with the programming is that we have gotten really creative about our floral engagement because there isn't, let's be honest, it's in the mountains. There are no flower farms in Banff. Um, there are flower farms, as you said, Cold Lake, closer to Calgary. Cl- where is where is uh, Primrose? Um, farther He's south? Way down south, yeah. Okay, so in, yeah. within the province, we'll we'll be able to bring in local, Tons, locally grown yes. flowers. We'll probably bring in flowers from uh, British Columbia as well. And the, some of our speakers who are coming from Ontario, who are going to be, are, they're either farmer florists or floral uh, designers. I've asked them if they just bring some of their local product with them because, you know, it's easy enough to put a box, check it in luggage for, uh, you know, a one hour flight or two yeah. hour flight. Yeah. Um, but we're getting really creative with um, botanical engagement that will include um, both dried flowers. And then uh, Lourdes Sill is here. I see her Lourdes still from Masagana Farm. We might put her on the screen in a little bit. Sorry, Lourdes, I'm giving you a little warning, um, <laughs> you know, to to talk about dye plants. And uh, so there'll be a lot of ways to showcase um botanical growing and design with a local emphasis, but maybe not just, you know, crops of sunflowers or something like that oh, that you've yeah. seen a field. We don't have sunflowers in end of June. <laughs> Do you get them in like September? Well, like more in August. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's great. Well, Becky, one one of the things I ask you to do is to give at, at the summit. You're going to be our local host, and you're going to give kind of the welcome. But ever uh, many people know you for your work in sustainability. So, um, do you want to just talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, Becky Feesby and Prairie Girl Flowers, and then we'll um, bring um, a Latifa onto the screen because yay, she got into Zoom. Thank you, thank you, Zoom. Sure. Um... You know, I've been kind of absent on social media lately, uh, which doesn't mean I'm abandoning it, but I've found it um, oppressive and and not that <laughs> not giving me that much joy. So, um, but you know, I have run a sustainability Sunday, where so I still advocate for sustainable practices and try to help educate people about different aspects of sustainability. Um, right now, I'm busy gathering data and research for my master's thesis. So I am working on completing my master's at Harvard 
um, hopefully graduating in May. Yeah, so I'm working on completing um, a light, an environmental and social life cycle assessment for roses grown in North and South America. So that's one area that we have very little data on. Um, and people love to talk about the carbon footprint of their flowers, but in, in the Americas, sadly, there's very little data to sort of back up assumptions we might have mm-hmm. or or whatever. So, but the, the data gathering for life cycle assessment is, is um, a lot of work and it's a lot of work to get flower farms to agree to sort of spend one or two hours with me, giving me some information. I think people get scared about participating in, in something that may reveal something that they don't, they're uncomfortable with or sort of the unknown. So that's the the biggest thing I'm working on every day right now. It's just trying to get people to feel like this is going to be a positive um, it, yes, resource for the floral industry. Because it's going to be a positive resource. I mean, even if, if, if a, a farm is shown to, you know, not be that environmentally sustainable, it's not about throwing them under the bus for that, but sort of pointing out, Hey, if you did this one thing that could change your, your greenhouse gas, contributions down, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, in a huge Mm -hmm. way and probably save you money. So I'm, that's sort of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a lot of that. And then looking at planning another sustainable flowers workshop next year, probably back in Canada, I'll be moving it out of the U S. So, um, back for now, back to Canada or possibly the UK. So, and that's where I really try to focus on the three pillars of sustainability. That's always been my objective. So we talk about environmental, social, and economic sustainability and how we have to consider all three of those. Mm. Well, you're just coming off of a very successful second uh, sustainable floral floral workshop in um, New Jersey. And um, I was, of course, a little bit more aware of it. This year, because we both shared uh, a keynote speaker, Shane Connolly. Yes. Um, but you had, uh, by all by all appearances on social media, you had a, an incredible turnout, and a, a lot of just a, a lot of floral goodness, as I like to say. So it was, congratulations! It was a lot of floral goodness. Thanks. Yeah, it was fabulous, and I I uh, very fond of Shane. <laughs> it was yeah it was quite quite special to spend time with him in in yeah. the Seattle area and we're going to post a story about it in uh, the upcoming Soul Flowers journal so Perfect. um people can see that uh yeah. listen our um I'm so excited that you agreed to to stay on and I wanted to ask uh Karen to put Latifa uh Pelletier Ahmed on with us hello Latifa hi it's nice to see you. It's so good to see you. Welcome. I'm so sorry about the technical difficulties, but oh well, uh, you're here now. Yeah, I think things got like mixed up, mixed up on my links and stuff, and how I was trying to open them, but I figured it out. Eventually. Oh, geez. I mean, every time I try to think I have it figured out, they change the rules. Well, Latifa, I met you through Becky, and I I can't remember. Did you speak at one of the um, Sustainable Flowers workshops? Um, yeah, the one okay. in Calgary. I think that's, yeah, that's when Becky first got in touch with me, and then, yeah, we've been connecting ever since, so yeah. But yeah. Becky, you're also a customer of Latifa's nur- I am. nursery, right? Talk- <laughs> yes, I Yeah, am. so tell us about ACLA Nursery, Latifa. It's in Calgary, and you just moved, right? Yeah, so the nursery, ALCLA, we also say Alcala Native Plants. Um, it's named after the original owners. So we actually took over the company in 2019, myself and my partner, Ben Hartney. And yeah, we've just moved to 
Carstairs, it hasn't been officially announced yet because we're still settling in and there's still some paperwork and things that need to be sorted out, but we're about 45 minutes from the Calgary Centre um, and then a little bit further north, but uh, yeah, we're, you might see, I don't know if you can see boxes around me, we're still unpacking, we're still settling in, it's been a huge uh, adjustment, but yeah, we grow... Um, over 150 species of wildflowers, grasses, and shrubs native to mainly central and southern Alberta. And we wild collect, I would say like 90, 95% of the seeds ourselves. Um, wow. And, uh, so which, yeah, which is a huge. <laughs> you look so calm, but you're un un underneath you're probably going through the mental checklist of everything else you have to do this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> A lot of it's just like I have to. The washing machine broke. Now I have to get a new one. This is where oh, I am. Right? <laughs> oh, life. Well, Latifa, um, the, that is really unusual to be wild collecting and then using those seeds for cultivation. But I mean, that's really the only way you can do it with native plants, right? There's not a commercial seed source that's for right. nurseries, is there? No, not really. I mean, there are some plants that are. Uh, domesticated and that are available for sale and can be propagated either by seed or cuttings or whatever types of materials. So there are native plants like Oregon grape comes to mind as an ornamental, which is also a native species, which has also been bred. There's hybrids, you know, et cetera, of that type of species. But for wild collected plants, for I mean, I was thinking about this, like, you know, one of the most beautiful and wonderful things about being part of the Americas, being part of North America is our biodiversity. And mm -hmm. I think it's the land that shapes us as a people, all of us who occupy space on this land. And unfortunately, though, a lot of the vegetation that was here for thousands of years has become very, very small and is competing with all the different human activity that's happening on the landscape particularly in the prairies. And so we have very few um, places where we can even see rich biodiversity of certain native plants and so forth. So I suppose what I want to say is like, <laughs> we have an opportunity now um, to really start to pay attention to the history of the true history and landscape of North America and to actually invest in those species. Because if we as, as human beings, as the most dominant species on the landscape cannot invest and take time to appreciate the species that are there, I think there's a risk of, um, of losing that, that heritage. And that's sort of the situation where we are in now. So yeah, we, we have no choice but to actually physically go out collect, and collect seeds. And that actually is what keeps our seeds and our plants wild and genetically diverse. Because on the flip side of it, if you genetically domesticate a plant and you select for, for example, um, rapid germination that happens uniformly, which we often see in cultivated plants, someone who's never grown the wild version of that plant may think that they just germinate that way. But wild plants are actually a lot more complex and clever and have to survive incredible odds. And so to do that, sometimes it can take um, extra years before a seed will germinate. They'll just stay in the soil. Um, they might need periods of cold or uh, being exposed to perhaps an animal's digestive tract or wind or, or different environmental conditions. Um, there's all different kinds of factors, um, you know, light and temperature factors that influence these seeds and it's all different. And so 
the cool thing about what we do is it's really dynamic and always changing. Yeah. And so it's a very different thing. And so, you know, we can't predict that when we grow our seeds that we're going to get exactly this amount of, of plants germinate, that they'll perform exactly the same way because it, there's so much that, that happens mm-hmm. in the variation. So it's a bit of a risk in some ways, but that's kind of the fun of it and the joy of it. And I, and I, love to challenge people and to celebrate diversities because it is actually something an incredibly precious resource and incredibly mm. valuable. Mm-hmm. I, that's just so poetic to hear yeah. you just describe it because um, it's the opposite of the mindset of the nursery trade, right? Where it's like, you know, find the best seller and then patent it and make sure everyone has to pay for its use. And you're, you're working with what how nature performs and uh it sounds like when you're collecting seed that must also be a little bit sensitive like do you have to get permits or like where are you collecting all this seed um is it kind of a tricky way to navigate the you yeah. know pub, public yeah. lands for sure when we, we we collect in public lands or private lands with permission or often the roadside like a lot of uh, there's a lot of public right-of-ways between properties, especially in the prairies, which a lot of times can be in good condition in terms of being wild habitat. So those can be great. You know, just driving along in the country can be a great way to, to find a native seed. So, yeah, I mean, because we're not collecting large volumes of seed, we haven't had too many issues with permits. But for sure, if you were going to go out with some seed collecting machines or a, a, several individuals and collect bags and bags of seed, then you would have to apply for uh, permits like what they do in forestry when they collect, mm. you know, mm-hmm. pounds and pounds of spruce seed, for example. Yeah, they have to get a permit. But for us, we're collecting a few grams at most in most wow. cases. So it's not it's not a lot. I mean, we are a small business. And so um, we're not collecting. Um, we try to be really mindful about how we're yeah. collecting and that it's sustainable. And we're not collecting large amounts of seed. If it's a more rare species, we're not necessarily going to be collecting a lot to sell. We're just collecting a small amount to grow our own plants. And we try to also, now that we've moved, it's, we're going to do more of that growing out plants, but trying to keep them genetically diverse. But mm-hmm. that will allow us to have more availability and ease of harvesting because often I have to travel it could be up to three hours away, not all the time, but to collect certain species because that's where they grow. So, and then I have to time that. And every year it's slightly different. I mean, this year, I know Becky knows, we had an early hot spring and there were a lot of wildfires as a result. Um, But another result of that is that it changed the flowering times of a lot of species. So that means if you, in your mind, you always collect milkweed in September this year, you actually in August, you could collect milkweed, for example. And wow. there, there's a lot of different things. So you have to be really in tune with the each year because it's always changing. And yeah, and then drought and stuff like that. We've had a lot of drought. So drought um, can actually reduce the viability of seeds. And so that obviously really impacts us if uh, the seed we're collecting from one year um, because of the environmental conditions are not as good as from another. So yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I think... <laughs> What makes our project sustainable is that we it is biodiverse. So when yeah. some plants fail, we have lots of another that can be a substitute. It and is, that's how we thrive is by actually embracing the diversity of it rather than trying to fight and control everything. And I, I keep thinking to myself, you're like a small batch artisan nursery because you're you're intimate with the place where you're collecting the seeds. You're doing it in person. 
But when you yes. talk about biodiversity, are you saying like, say for a specific wildflower, you're collecting seed from multiple uh, habitats so that there's not this, um, I don't know, risk for, you know, a, a variety of, maybe to say you had a failure, you've got sources from other parts of the province so that um, you keep that plant going. Is that, is, I'm not putting it very well, but. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. Yeah. Like we, we try so the parent generation, that's the first generation of wild stock. So the seed, ideally, in my ideal situation, we would grow out from the first parent. So the next generation is what we'd be growing. And we would know we have a few individuals from that population. Like everything comes down to even the parent generation, you're not collecting from one plant. You're collecting from as many different individuals as Got you it. can within a population. And that and keeps the diversity a going. Subset of those seeds, you grow those seeds, you what you, you grow out a subset of those individuals hopefully if you've done a good job those are diverse within that population and then you can say okay this is from calgary area and then oh this other same species i collected maybe from the edmonton area and in but you can't the generation after that those two populations are going to start mixing mm -hmm. you know the reality is it's incredibly complex to say you can try and preserve the diversity once yeah. you start to domesticate you inevitably domesticate yeah. uh, to some extent so yeah. that's why we have to conserve those remaining wild spaces because they're irreplaceable the right oh that's a really good point it's like you're mm -hmm. really mindful of um not disrupting the native places the wild pl is is do you call them wild places is that better than saying the native origins of the uh location or i think yeah, both would be fine. You know, okay. I think there's different ways of framing it. But yeah, I think often you'll see use in ecology or you'll use the word native habitat to mm -hmm. refer to an mm -hmm. area that's predominantly native species. And and how we count that is really variable. You know, like yeah. I have friends in conservation who say as little as 30% of native species on our grassland is enough to call it a native grassland. Mm -hmm. So um, something, oh. some food for thought. <laughs> So when people come to um, Banff and um, get to spend time with you, you have um, plans to take uh, our attendees, it's optional, but an early morning wildflower walk. I think I'm going to use the word walk, Becky, instead of hike. I think hike will freak people out. <laughs> uh, but but when you've been giving these walks all over, you know, the Calgary area. And so what, what do you try to... Um, you know, how do you try to lead people through these walks and, you know, how should they prepare for that? Bring their notebooks and cameras and that sort of thing? Yes, definitely. Uh, bring a notebook and a camera. That's a great idea. And I think people will love it. I absolutely think you'll love it. Um, I haven't done them last year and I get a lot of people messaging me, when are you going to do your walks again? But uh, it's... Uh, I'm You've been a little busy. <laughs> um, but, it, and I like the word walk. It really is more accurate in describing. It's not a hike. In fact, we could easily go like um, no more than 100 meters. And there's so much biodiversity in Banff because it is an intact wild area. You could literally just throw a stone in every direction. You'll find a new species. So mm. we really don't have to go far. And um, I have extensive background in both the herbal uses and medicinal uses because I'm actually trained. I studied in, in England and in, in London um, in herbal medicine. So I have an evidence-based approach and background with medicine. And I have lots of practical experience of actually using these plants as food because that's just a hobby of mine foraging and that kind of thing I've been you know for well over a decade I've been into that kind of stuff so it's it's all it's 
I have so much information to share with you. Uh, and not only how to use the plants as food, we can even, you know, well, we're not supposed to. Weeds, we can nibble. We're not allowed to take anything. Okay, out of we'll, we'll nibble on weeds, but you'll have but... to tell us which ones are weeds. <laughs> Oh, that's so exciting, Latifa. And I guess the one thing I'm also very excited about, and this is sort of goes hand in glove with Becky's work on raising awareness about um, the the problem with invasive species. Like it's almost like native plants are the antidote to invasive species. And I'm I'm excited to have you uh, kind of plant a seed of an idea among flower farmers and floral designers to see native plants. And of course, it's so hyper-regional for wherever people are from, but to see the, the native plants available to them as possibly, um, uh, you know, a, a something that can be used in the floral industry. Um, and and I, I'm just eager to hear how, I mean, do you have flower growers who buy from you as well for their cut flower crops, or is that just beginning to get, you know, take off? I think it's, from my understanding, just beginning. I mean, Becky definitely supports us. Uh, and from my recollection, we've had other folks um, like following up from the Sustainable uh, uh, Flowers Summit and that that followed up with me. So I think there is an interest, but it is something new. And um, it's you have to be innovative because some yeah. of these species again, they might be difficult to cultivate. Some of them aren't, but maybe they've never been used before. And I know, you know, I'm not a florist, so I don't know all the background behind it, but I know there has to be a longevity and they have to be able to be preserved to a certain level, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, there's a, so much, uh, I think, room for 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 innovation, for learning, uh, for trying new things. There definitely are annual native species that can flower in the first year, but sometimes it can take several years for a oh. species to flower, right? Minimum two for most perennials, but some larger long-lived perennials, could, like bear grass, which I know is used in the floral industry, but actually is not less common in the wild now. Um, it can take seven years to flower, oh. but the bloom is... Um, I haven't never actually seen it in real life, to be honest, but it's, uh, the pictures are just breathtaking. And um, we yeah. actually have some plants growing from seed, but, you know, in five to seven years, I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to seeing them. You're a, patient, you're a patient woman. But I mean, I do, I think we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg on this. Becky, you might want to jump in a little bit and then we're, I think we'll open it up to questions, but just this idea of you know, the over-hybridizing and the over-breeding, we know it happens. We see it in so many categories. And of course, it's we're excited with the new, but some of these sustainable practices of growing native plants on our in our gardens and on our farms are regenerative, and we should be encouraging that too. And, uh, you know, I think you're both sort of pioneers in that, just educating people. But what are you seeing about in the floral trade, Becky, of people wanting to grow native plants? I mean, I think more there, there are there's even a couple of places in the U.S. that are sort of focusing on that now. So mm -hmm. I think you see it. Um, we're starting to see it more and more. I mean, certainly Latif and I have all kinds of great conversations about invasives. Um, I remember when I first brought up some of the concerns with invasive species being used in floristry and stuff. She was like horrified <laughs> and any sort of person I talk to with the a sort of an e ecological or botanical background will be like, what, really? Mm -hmm. um, and certainly, you know, one of the issues with invasive species is that they dis displace these native species, right? And yeah. so it's it's a two-pronged problem, right? Um, or multiple. Is more you have than to kind of attack it from both sides, like eradicate yes. invasives and encourage 
natives. Is that exactly. what you mean, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so it's it's um so it's something that Latif and I have connected over quite a bit. And yeah. uh, you know, I'll rattle on to her. <laughs> well, I think it's gonna be great because it's really gonna introduce sort of uh first of all nothing beats getting excited about wildflowers than going out and seeing them in the wild. Absolutely. So, Latifah, that's going to be such a special treat. And, you know, normally we do a farm tour uh, of some kind of flower farm tour and you're going to be our flower farm tour. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no, but be- there'll be no better flower farm really than, than, you than know, nature. walking around in Banff and sort of looking at, at the interesting plants that, that grow there right in the, in the mountain landscape and, the history, the uses, the ecological significance of them. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I just love the idea of rolling out of bed and just meeting Latifa five minutes later and heading out. And uh, yeah. I think we're going to figure out how to feed people, maybe get bag lunches, a bag breakfast <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting. Um, I thank you for saying yes, Latifa. I'm so excited to host you and um, have people just not only do that walk with you, but also then you'll be presenting about just kind of the, this, just the overview of how native plants are essential in both growing and, um, you know, I'm, I know you're not a floral designer, but I think you're going to have a lot of people asking you questions about um, bloom time and and stem length and, you know, all of those things. So, um, I'm looking forward to learning. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys mind if we um, bounce to some questions? And I also am excited because um, one of our speakers, our other speakers is in the, in the Zoom. Um, I'd love to put uh, Lourdes on the screen so she can tell us a little bit. Hello. She can say hello and um, join the conversation. Lourdes is coming to us from Manitoba. Um, is that one province over or that's two provinces over to the east of Alberta, right? Yes. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm good. I, I almost forgot to call, but I really want to hop on in and, and just like um, listen and hear from the other speakers and of course from Becky and you, Deborah. So yeah, I'm glad I, with the time change, I'm glad I was able like to uh, hop on this this Zoom call. Well, you put a comment in the chat and it wasn't a question, but you said you're really learning, looking forward to learning from Latifa because you've been diving into the plant diversity of the grasslands near you. Um, how does that, is that on your property or what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, well, you know what, uh, Deborah, as I've mentioned to you and I, I've announced on my socialist, I did uh, started a new uh, role of a remote full-time position for a nonprofit organization who is like working with uh, young emerging regenerative farmers in, in Canada. And I am, um, uh, we're planning a mixer this coming December. And the theme is actually like uh, on this very idea on what the uh, commonality between the farmers in the province of Alberta, Saskatchewan and in Manitoba. And it, it is the grasslands. And I think it is the first ever pra- uh, mixer for the prairies. And I think I really I created a theme for the event because I really want people to see. Uh, I mean, you know, we're farming in different zone, uh, different provinces. But what is the common uh, thing between, you know, farmers from these provinces. And it is like learning, rediscovering the vastness of the grasslands and, you know, and take root in that. So the theme is like rooted, grow deep, because I think before, I think it's essential. Um, A lot of the farmers that we do um, serve are either, you know, uh, born in Canada or uh, some of them are immigrants like me or, you know, born from other parts of Canada. But then I think there is that importance in learning about uh, the land that we're farming on. And my hope is that, 
you know, for them, when they go back, we go back to the farms that we are farming on and we have this like new perspective on how to steward better the land and to advocate for its conservation. And the native plants is kind of like really integral part of that. And I'm learning so much about the advocacy that we need to um to we need to do. Um yeah, for us prairie farmers. <laughs> That's great. And like, well, and Latifa mentioned some of the grasses that, um, yeah. you know, like the bear grass that is sort of commonly um, used yeah. maybe more in the floral trade, but then you're starting, you're seeing it kind of disappear in the wild places, right, Latifa? Yeah. And I invited a speaker, they're a father and son. So they are, um, they've been in the business of like uh, native seeds and um, the sun is actually part of the, a lot of conservation effort um, in Manitoba and 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 I think they're in the Grassland National Park too in Saskatchewan. And so there is this um, that that people can integrate, like flower farmers and farmers can integrate those um, uh, native plants into their operations because there's so much benefit in them. So I'm bringing them to talk about like because I think you know just on the theme and and then learning for people to learn more about the importance of. Um, including, you know, or, or I don't know, like having that diversity again, however size of their mm -hmm. farm operation is. Uh, Latifa <laughs> just asked, is it skin or nat native seed? Yeah, yeah, John and Michael. I'm really excited to learn from them too. I think what I'm hearing you guys say is like, it, it's possible to integrate native plants into anybody's property. It may not be a primary crop, but it's it's a, a way to build up biodiversity and maybe more regenerative practices into your land right yes and there's a perfect example actually there is like a flower farm here in manitoba and so they've noticed so they are they are an agricultural family too and flower farm is kind of like their second business and so they had observed so they have this the flower farm where the you pick operation is it's really like secluded by the the trees around the farm and then they have another area just like outside the, the UPIC area is very exposed to the conventional uh, farm operation. So and and they wanted to build that side for the for the florist orders, wholesale orders. Um, and yeah, and they've been like really diving into how can we kind of like recreate that um that ecosystem that they have on the UPIC area. And so what they're planning in, in their long-term plan, and they have this fall, like planted some native species in there to create those, um, I'm, I'm losing the word, but like um, not windbreak, but like sort of like, you know, that windbreak so that to recreate that because it was really just infested and because mm. there's no barrier or anything, but they wanted it to, they're very, um, yeah, but they want, wanted it to incorporate like native plants. So I connected them with Skinner Native Seeds and and that's and the perfect people to connect with because that's what they do. They Skinner Native Seeds uh work with farmers on how to include this native plants in whatever plan they have for their farm. I just just to reiterate, like I'm so, I got chills. Like I'm so excited what you're saying, Lord, and thank you so much for sharing. Like, but Native, just to emphasize how important native species are, they are the backbone for life as we know it in the places that we live. And mm. all insect life, all bird life, all invertebrate life, you know, and um, all the animals, but big and small, they depend on these native species. They depend on these plants for food, for habitat, uh, for building their nests, for mating rituals. There's all kinds of incredible, unique and fascinating adaptations when you start to learn about the richness mm -hmm. of the wildlife, the flora and fauna of this land. It has been profoundly 
underlooked because it's amazing. The stories are rich, they're colorful, they're vibrant. And of course, they form part of all the indigenous stories and worldviews that cross Turtle Island. So it's just, you start tapping into 10,000 years plus of history, of, of of life, of dynamism in this land that's unique to this land. And it's just incredible. And I just, the land I think really starts to come alive literally when, as soon as you start bringing back native species into the mm. habitat. So I'll just throw that um, in there. <laughs> and Latifa, this is part of your personal story because of your heritage, right? Well, my her- my heritage, I'm half Bangladeshi. And then my parent, my grandparents, they settled in Northern Alberta. They're from Quebec. They're French Canadian. And uh, it is part of my story in, in, in different ways, in the way that uh, where my grandparents settled at some of the most devastated landscape in the country, mm. uh, the parkland, only 5% is remaining. Um, and so it happened in less than a hundred years. It's e- easily one of the most ecologically disturbed places on earth. Um, and so that's a legacy for me, for sure, because that's something within my own parents' lifetime, they witnessed that. And uh, and then also in Bangladesh, I do visit and I go home and I see the impact of the loss of biodiversity and it's huge. And it's an even more critical issue in the tropics because you can't dry and save most tropical seeds. So um, if we don't preserve those remaining spaces, we're we're at risk of losing our biodiversity across the yeah. earth. Wow. So it's something every human being on earth has a has a stake in. And and we need to care enough to do our own research and educate ourselves about what are the native species wherever we live, which I think you're going to just uh, open up people's eyes to. Thank you so much. I know uh, Tonley has a couple questions. Tonley, why don't you jump on and just, I don't know if we we don't maybe just turn your mic on and, and share your yeah. questions. And then if anyone else has questions, uh, please add them to the chat and uh, we'll make sure everyone gets to, um, we'll pose it to our panelists, including Lourdes, who didn't know she was going to be featured today. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like all three of you guys could really speak to these questions. Um, For me, it's something I'm always thinking about. But I was wondering if you guys had tips specifically coming from a flower farmer standpoint in terms of when it comes time for us to plant cover crops in our states, provinces, wherever you might be, um, or when it comes time for us to let a field rest and regenerate our soil, are there specific cover crops that you recommend us planting for things that we can till in? So not necessarily those things like the the grasses that we're leaving for many, many years, but what are some things that we can do for like a quick flash in the pan? This is a year of giving back to our soil. Is there anything? It's going to be very regional specific. And of course, the biggest challenge and barrier is access to seed. So there might be a species really suitable to your area, but no one is producing it in the quantities that would actually benefit or, or be feasible for, for, you to do for, for a big broadcast sowing. Um, yeah. That being said, any, I think legumes, like most often European clovers are used for this type of process because they're nitrogen fixing and improve the fertility of the soil. So there definitely are native legumes that can do that. Um, you know, I know native plant growers in British Columbia, there's the spring brink clover, which is uh, one of the North American species of clover that is native. And I know they're producing it on a somewhat larger scale, but nothing like, you know, a pound for 10 bucks or whatever that you could get for um, domesticated European clovers, but things like that. So, but again, you know, 
that's where we really want to be connecting with our networks and working together. Like my dream is that there are farmers producing native seed, like purple prairie clover and white prairie clover, but because these are perennials, you know, I feel like the benefit would come from leaving them over several years rather than just one. They're slow growing, they're slow to establish. So there are barriers, perhaps. Um, you could try certain annuals, but I don't know if that would actually bring the benefit that a legume might bring to an area. Because, you know, it depends. It, it, there's a lot to the science of soil science, et cetera, you know, beyond my knowledge. But um, that's just to give you some ideas yeah. of what. Yeah, that's I guess a great it answer for what mm-hmm. you're doing it too. Like yeah, I mean, I use a lot of it. vetch and and um, and fava bean mixes, things like that, field peas. But it's just always interesting to be like, what what is out there? Some of the most, you know, in terms of regenerating soils from from big egg, people have had tons of success with planting, you know, daikon radish plus clovers plus other legumes plus you know, blanket flour, like, you know what I mean? A combination of all kinds of things that, that go in there to that, you know, like, like a a root crop is, can be useful too, because I can help break up some clay. Right. Mm -hmm. And Lourdes, you added, I've seen from another grower using fall rye and clover. Is, Is that as a mix? Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're, but, um, that one of the, uh, Market um, market grower here, yeah. So they've been using this um, um, cover craft, and I think that is a mix. And there is another market grower here, so they actually, I, and I learned of it like from one of their posts in the newsletter that they have experimented, like so they're they're um, like in their rows. So um, that's how kind of like sort of their amendment. So they're growing cover crop, and then for like the next year, and then growing, um, and then growing crop in there, and they've been like really seeing a lot of success. Mm-hmm. I love it. This is like such a great conversation. I would love to get that resource that you refer to, Latifa, from British Columbia. Um, is it a native seed company? Yeah, it's Satin Flower. They're so awesome. It's a couple as well. And they are, I think it's Satin Flower Nurseries. Okay, Nursery. so you're putting that in the chat. Um, they're bio, both biologists and they're brilliant. And they they have a, a native plant nursery on the southern part of Vancouver Island. And Oh, it's gorgeous. And their plants are so amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. That's right. Um, well, we don't have a ton of time left. I wanted to ask Karen to go over a few frequently asked question details. And then Becky and I, this doesn't sound, this is, I'm not joking. This is something to be aware of. And that is um, the bear population of Banff. So can we just Becky, chat a little bit about yeah, bear awareness. Bear, bear awareness and bear safety. Always people like, you know, but it's 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 really sort of very simple. It's, um, you know, we, we would probably discourage people from getting up early in the morning, wandering out their hotel room at the Banff Center with a muffin and a cup of coffee and just going off by themselves quietly enjoying the wilderness. Um, you know, if you, if you go off in groups of four, we tend to hike in groups of four typically um that that is a, a great way to you you talk i don't have problems with this talking and talking <laughs> really <loudly>. no for extended <laughs> hours on end i'm good so um you know just sort of basic things i think deborah and i have chatted about having you know a few cans of bear spray there so that people could sign those out we will show you how to use them um which is an important thing to to sort of understand what's there, but just sort of, you know, understanding that you are in a national park um, that has wildlife all over the place. Um, 
you know, and, there's lots and, of and, mule deer, there's elk. Um, elk don't like to be dis- disturbed or bothered either, right? Moose, um, whatever. Um, it, it's nothing to sort of be worried about, but I think it's something to be aware of and not think that you're in the city and can just go, yeah. You can you can go strolling around willy nilly if you like, but but um, it's, it's not Disneyland, right? No, it's not Disneyland. It's probably ill advised, right? And, you're, you're, and I don't mean yeah. that disparagingly, Nisha, because I know no, you love Disneyland. No, and I don't mean it in in sort of in any negative way either. But I think it's something that just you know, educate yourself, yeah, yeah, and be respectful that this is their place that we're visitors where where all of these animals live, right? Yeah, we want to keep our our. Slow Flower Summit guests, happy, safe, and um, respectful of the place we're in. So I think that's great. Thank you, Becky, for that. And uh, we'll have more information about that in the future. And when she first told me this, guys, I didn't believe her. But then I saw some news reports that there were some incidents this past summer. So I just don't want to poo-poo it. So yeah, no, but it's, again, nothing to sort of freak out about, but just, you know, it's an awareness thing. Wouldn't you agree, Latifah? Like, it's not a... Like, oh my God, bears, but you know. Yeah, there's a bear aware video. I, yeah. I think that could be great for people to see that. Totally. In most cases, yeah. bears are not trying to no. catch people. They're just minding their own business. So if you can read that situation better, then you feel more confident, I think. Exactly. That sounds great. I won't ask either of you your personal experience with uh I have, I have no negative experiences <laughs> and we're huge hikers. I mean, I've I've come across them, but but again, I'm I'm pretty noisy on the trail. Yeah. Like, because I both, I like to be noisy and it's a safety thing. It's yeah. It's a safety thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Anything else, Lativa on that front? I will get the link from you on that bear video. Yeah. I'll I'll look for it. Cause I, I'll ask my sister because they have to do it all the time for their work because they work with a lot of bears. So. <laughs> um, great. Karen uh, Thornton was just going to touch base a little bit about some of the frequently asked questions. And I I don't, I mean, I think a lot of it's on the website, but um, Karen, uh, would you like to, uh, well, let me just stop for a second. Adrian Mason, who is here uh, virtually from Vancouver Island. No, is that right? Yeah, Vancouver Island. She said she's hiked all over BC and Alberta, including in Banff, and has never had a negative experience, but she's happy to walk with anyone who's feeling nervous. So Adrian, that sounds wonderful. You could be a, a hike buddy. Thank you for that. Okay, Karen, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I have plenty of stories here from the Pacific Northwest as well. So Deborah, in your backyard as well. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yep. Two different species, I think, to deal with. But um, I have plenty of video of bear playing in my backyard. So right here in Woodenville. And Washington. frankly, other people on the trail are probably more annoying than bears. So <laughs> <laughs> totally. So Karen's um, put a lot of stuff up on the website, on the Soulflowers uh, Summit website. So I think a lot of your questions can be answered, but you can reach out to either one of us. Do you want to touch base on anything that you've heard from the hotel or the, you know, the lodging? Yeah, I think uh, the, you know, travel and accommodations tab on the Slow Flowers Summit website um, is a little more full this year. Um, The biggest thing that I think for you to be aware of is just getting from an airport or wherever you might be to Banff and to the Banff Center. Uh, But we've provided tons of information on the website to be able to help you navigate that. And like Deborah said, you're welcome to reach out to me um, if you have any questions. Um, And we'll, we'll help you 
to get there, but um, we do have an airport or shuttle discount. So um, you can do that mode of transportation. Um, you know, a rental car is obviously a choice, but we'd love for you to be able to carpool and limit as many of those coming into the national park as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I think as the date gets closer and you start dealing with your own sort of logistics um, in your own household and uh, travel plans, you'll reach out with questions and we're ha we're happy to support in any way. Um, the only other thing that I would say as far as accommodations is a little bit different for those of you who have attended past events, of which there's many of you on this call, um, <clears throat> we're staying on site, which is exciting to me to build communi uh, community and continue the conversations and the dialogue that happens from our programming during the day um, throughout the evenings in a casual, you know, social setting. So that's really exciting to me as a person who um, doesn't see herself as an event planner, but as an experience designer. Um, so whether you you need sort of some time alone in a nice sort of spot, you can find that. And whether you want to find a group of people to sit and chat with, you'll be able to easily find that as well. Um, as far as logistics for accommodations go, um, we'll have a, we have a link on our accommodations and travel um, section of the summit website again that can have you, you know, take you directly to book online with the BAMF Center to secure your room in that way. So yeah, really exciting for a person like me. <laughs> I, I think it's really exciting that um, you really don't need a car if you fly into Calgary. I mean, this is for non-locals. Um, you can take the shuttle and the bus takes you straight. And Becky, it's like an hour, right? It's like a straight shot. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. And there's free Wi-Fi on the on the bus and, you know, some refreshments and stuff. Like, it's a very easy way to get there. And Banff, in the last few years, has closed down the Main Street to um, vehicular traffic. They're still, they're deciding whether they're going to reopen that to to cars um, in 2024. But sometimes that main drag that's about five blocks um, is pedestrian only. So, it and, yeah. and there's like a great um, bus service in Banff. Like, it's it's easy to get, get around, Uber, whatever. It's easy to get around. But from from our experience, when when you took me there, first of all, there's amazing restaurants and galleries yes, yeah. and and sort of cultural stuff happening on that main drag, for sure. And yeah. and so it's a few minutes walk from BAMP, so you can after when when yeah. the dinner when the dinner hour happens, we're envisioning groups of people just getting spontaneously, uh, you know assembled and finding a restaurant that they can go to uh, within a walking distance. And, Absolutely. Um, just walk down the hill from the BAMP Center onto the main street. You have to walk up the hill after you're done, but I mean, it's not oppressive. It's not a mountain. It's a good way to work off those calories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <I> love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be pretty much a, a, you know, light on transportation, <laughs> which is also, you know, a, a real plus from, from our point of view. We, and as Karen said, keeping the community together. So we're thrilled. Um, I thank you so much, Becky, for joining me today. I, I'm thank so delighted you. that that Latifa could be with us. And what a bonus to have Lourdes and so many people in the audience uh, who have um, come to past summits. So um, we're just kind of, this is early. We'll have other of our speakers come on uh, for meetups and for podcast interviews uh, between now and June. But we wanted to just sort of put the teaser out there because uh, the early bird ticket sales uh, continue to the end of the year. So now's your chance to grab that $100 off. And, um, you know, there's some really real savings if you book at the hotel. And uh, depending on if, if you're buying in US dollars or Canadian dollars, the prices are in Canadian dollars at the hotel. 
Um, so we're just thrilled to see everyone there. And uh, Becky, thanks so much for everything you've done to help make it happen. And oh, thank you. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. Ah, uh, me too. I'm really jazzed. You know, one of our signatures with the Slow Flower Summit is to be in a breathtaking location. And it's often been a botanical garden, but this is like a nature garden. So next level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and next month, we will have our last uh, meetup of the year. And it will be early uh, because fr- the first is a Friday. So it'll be Friday, December 8th, uh, our the second Friday of the month. And um, I'm I don't have it completely pulled together, so we'll announce it. Look for that in the December newsletter. And um, thank you all for joining us today. This has been a wonderful session. And uh, I'm just, it kind of sets the stage for what our gathering will be in 2024. I hope you all have a great month and I look forward to seeing you back in the Zoom room in December. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. Visit slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 636 to find our show notes, read extensive bios of these three guests, and watch the replay video of our meetup. There you'll also find all the details about the Slowflower Summit or visit slowflowersummit.com to find everything you need to register, plan your travel and lodging, and more. You'll want to take advantage of our early bird registration rate, which just opened for the 2024 summit. Save $100 off your registration now through December 31st. And Slow Flowers members always enjoy $100 off their registration on top of that. Our next thank you goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. In more news of the week, we have just published the fall 2024 issue of the Slow Flowers Journal, a beautiful 54-page digital magazine that is filled with inspiration, instruction, ideas, and news about the Slow Flowers community. The issue settles into the coziness of the season, and our stories deepen the connections between indoors and outdoors. The issue features two stories that inspire the term floral hospitality. You'll love reading about Elizabeth Brown and Jill Redman, two Slow Flowers members who are flowering the travel, tourism, and lodging niche in creative new ways. You'll meet Slow Flowers hero Kelly Morrison of Colorfields Farm in a profile by Tonnelly Gruder, and immerse yourself in landscape architect Emily Sager's survey of an urban forest. We visit Stems Brooklyn as part of our Where We Bloom series and get lost in the late season beauty of Mary-Kate Kinane's Dahlia Workshop. Enjoy gorgeous floral photography in recaps of our 2023 Slow Flowers Summit and September's lecture and workshops that welcomed British floral artist Shane Connolly to Seattle. We love sharing the season's coziness in this issue of Slow Flowers Journal, and you can find the link in today's show notes or in our Instagram profile at Slow Flowers Society. Our final thank you goes to Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With an elegant and easy to use system, Details improves profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details all in one platform. 
All friends of the Slow Flowers podcast will receive a seven-day free trial of Details Flowers software. You can learn more at detailsflowers.com. I love all this floral goodness, and I am so happy you joined me today. The Slow Flowers podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show and our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.